man, it's so good to see all of you, uh, to be here with you today. Uh, as we often do, kind of as we're getting ready to start a new school year, when everyone kind of comes back from summer vacations and, and uh, begins to kind of plug into a weekly rhythm uh, once again, uh, we like to kind of begin uh, the year with, with just a reminder of who we are and really to just give a vision message. And that's kind of my heart today. Next week, Cameron's going to be talking to you about um, community and community groups and how it is you can get involved as community groups launch. Actually, uh, signups begin next Sunday. Uh, but today, I want to just kind of reinvestigate the why of what we do as a church. And I want to just begin uh, with a mission statement. Now, here's the thing. Uh, <laughs> Door of Hope has always been so defined by the pillars, which is how we fulfill our mission, that we've kind of always ignored the mission statement itself. And this has been something we've kind of dug into just recently to, to really define the why of, of why it is that we exist as a church. What are we here for? What is the purpose of Door of Hope? And this is this is the mission statement. Door of Hope exists for Jesus as a movement of grace for revival in the city. That's the most concise way that I can say what we're about as a church. These are, this is us kind of filtering through what is the language that has been used at Door of Hope from its very beginning, and, and this is the most concise I can get it is that we have always been a church that has centered around the person of Jesus. That everything we do is about Jesus. We're not preaching if we're not talking about Him, if we're not communicating His gospel. As a movement of grace, we think it's incredibly important and what brings transformation to the community is when they have a right understanding of that gospel, uh, a right understanding of God's one-way love toward us in Christ. Uh, that puts us all in an even playing field and actually creates a community of vulnerability and transformation, uh, a community of the gospel. And the whole goal is that we want to see revival. We want to see a movement of the Holy Spirit uh, in this city. We want to see an awakening. And I even am careful, even I just want to say for revival, because revivals don't just stay usually in one place. They spread. And that's what we want. We want to be a part, a catalyst of a movement that actually brings transformation to a culture. And so here we have the most concise way that I can say what we're about as a church. Door of Hope exists for Jesus as a movement of grace for revival in the city. And how it is that we accomplish that is wrapped up in our pillars. And if you've ever come to Discover Door of Hope, you've heard, you've heard us talk about the four pillars uh, that we kind of filter everything through as a church. And those four pillars is the cross, community, simplicity, and the city. And what I want to do is, and this is always helpful, is to continually look at the pillars from a new angle. And so I want us to consider the cross as a message of grace, the community, the fellowship of grace, simplicity as a philosophy of grace, and the city as multiplication of grace. So beginning with the cross, this message of grace, and we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42 for all four of our pillars. But in Acts chapter 2, right after Pentecost, this is what we see in the apostolic church and why, first and foremost, we're a community of the cross. 
that were about the message of grace. And it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. What were the apostles' teachings? What was the central message of the early church? It was the gospel. In fact, the birth of the church on, on, on the day of Pentecost, we see that 3,000 people responded to Peter's proclamation of who Jesus is and what he did, and he called people to repent and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And he says that there's no other name under heaven by which one can be saved. He says Jesus Christ is the Son of God become incarnate. He is God in the flesh and that he lived the life that we couldn't live, that he died the death that we deserved, that he conquered death and sin on the cross, and that he rose from the dead, that whoever puts their faith in him should find themselves in this new identity, an identity of salvation under the lordship of Christ. And that's why Jesus is Lord. Those three words wield absolute authority for the believer and actually define for us what the gospel is. Because to say Jesus is Lord is to recognize that I no longer am. To say Jesus is Lord is to recognize that I am lost without a Savior. And so for us, this message of grace, when we look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and 43, we see that the community is built around this gospel. That this is what they spend their time thinking about because the cross is our identity. We are a family of churches. That's the goal, to move toward this idea of being a family of churches that are committed to the gospel of Jesus, full identification with Him and transformation into His likeness by the Holy Spirit. Everything we say about creation, incarnation, and spirituality must be anchored in the cross. The message of grace must be central to who we are. This is why it says in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 25, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This is the message that is central to everything we do. I love how Eugene Peterson actually Uh, reinterprets that passage and says we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us God did it for us out of sheer generosity he put us in right standing with himself it is a pure gift he got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be and he did it by the means of Jesus Christ God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in Him sets us in the clear. This is the message of grace. As a community of the cross, this is what we must continually be about. This is why Paul says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And I I think when we ask the question of what does it mean to be a community, of the cross um, to be a to be to f- fall into that that focus of what does the message of grace 
actually look like. I think that what we're declaring, and this is something I just want to be clear about, is that the things that we are, we are declaring again and again, week after week, is first of all, the absolute and totality of our sinfulness. That we are so sinful that we are actually impotent in our ability to save ourselves. We cannot add to God's finished work in Christ. This is what it means to be a community of the cross around the message of grace. Because unless we understand how total sinfulness is, that it has infiltrated every arena of human existence, and that it has bound our wills into such, to such a degree that our ability to reach God in our own effort has been completely destroyed, that that's why the gospel is such good news, because it's about God stepping in to his own story and making a way for us where we could not for ourselves. This is the one way love of God. This is why we must be about grace. But we can't understand the power of grace if we don't understand how broken, fundamentally broken we are. This is why I've been using again and again the example of an AA meeting as a better picture of what the church should function like is because the first step in the 12-step program is to recognize that you cannot save yourself. You need help. And this is what we should be as a community of sinners who have been saved by grace. We are saints only because we are saved sinners. And that is a powerful reality for us to understand. So sin and impotence leads to a need for death and resurrection. For Jesus died the death that we deserve, but death could not keep him. He conquered death. And the resurrection is God's stamp of approval upon Jesus' atoning work. Which leads us to the call that Peter places on Pentecost and the call that we must continually place before, our, before ourselves as a community of faith because we need the gospel every single day is the call to repent and to believe. And that's why I say that the Christian life, to be a community of the cross built around the message of grace means that we are a people that daily recognize our need to return to the heart of the Father, which is made possible through the work of Jesus. This is why we don't look through the cross, we look to it again and again and again. It is the good death that leads to the resurrection life. And this is what I mean when I utilize that language of good death. Is, it, is that we are proclaiming the message of grace. It's death to the lie of who God never intended us to be so that we can come alive in Christ Jesus who has given himself fully for us. It's powerful when we consider the cross as our identity in this message of grace. Secondly, there is community. And this is the fellowship of grace. Community for us means proximity. It means that we recognize that transformation does not occur in isolation, but it occurs through life together. And we are committed to working out our salvation, working out our understanding of God's radical love toward us. Uh, and we do this together in intentional community because the gospel must be lived out in community. We're, as I have said again and again from the very beginning of Door of Hope, we were not born into a vacuum, but we were born again into a family. The challenging part of community, and this is, a, this is a, a continued problem in the church today, is that people think they can be about the cross and that they can be about Jesus, but reject the church. And we would argue that when we look at Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 45, what does it say? And all who believed were what? What does it say they were? Together. 
not isolated. Isn't the gospel about a restoration of relationship with God, which ultimately leads to a right relationship with others? And then and only then can it lead to a right understanding of ourselves. And they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. Now, this sort of radical community life, uh, it really almost looks more like communal life. But what does it mean to be an apostolic church? A church that is about the witness to the gospel, a community built around the cross. But that cross plays itself out. The gospel of grace plays itself out in how we live together. Jesus says, they will know you are my disciples by what? By your love for one another. But it's not just love saying, I love you, great, and then go about your merry business. But no, it's a recognition that we all are a part, as, as I hold tenaciously to the Re- Reformation's understanding of the priesthood of all believers which means that every single person in the kingdom of God as a part of this community has a part to play in, in being a manifestation, a visible manifestation of God's grace and the presence of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gifts the community of faith that we might be the family of God in a world that is hostile toward the gospel because it does not understand it. We are to play out our witness first and foremost by how we love and care for one another. And I think that this is important because it it begins with the idea that it requires the gospel of grace, recognizing that I am broken, I am sinful, and that Jesus has done everything for me. That eradicates the need for pretense or masks. And what I want us to be is a people that are marked as a community uh, that is engaged in the fellowship of grace. We cannot be a fellowship of grace if we aren't functioning in transparency. Transparency is what John means in 1 John when he says if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, what does it mean to walk in the light? It doesn't mean to walk morally upright. To walk in the light means that we're not hiding behind any falsehood. That we're willing to come into the open and be exposed by the grace of God. Because transparency leads to what I think is the second component of what it means to be a fellowship of grace, which is it leads to confession. And to be a church that is driven by the gospel of grace means that we will be a church that continually confesses our brokenness to God and to one another because we are a people that are committed uh, to staying in the light. This is what it means to be radically transformed by the gospel. It doesn't mean that you're sinless. It means that you are continually bringing your brokenness before God that you might receive his power to live differently. But the life that is lived differently is not a life that pretends to be without sin. It's a life that continually steps into the light. It's a life that continually returns to the heart of the Father because the human life is a prodigal life. And this is why we must continually return again and again and again. And the more we return and the faster we return, that turn becomes almost a dance. And that's where the life becomes a sacred romance. This power of transparency into confession leads to the ultimate component and that sacrificial call to be a community of grace, to be a fellowship of grace. And that is that we are a people that contribute to God's kingdom. And that means with our time, that means with our, that means with our energy, with our gifts, but it also means with our finances. 
I, you know, I was sharing last week that, uh, uh, that this is an area where when we really ask the question, are we surrendered to the life of Jesus? Is, is he truly Lord over every arena of our lives? That is a really, uh, to walk in the light means that we begin to be honest with where it is that we withhold from God in our attempts to continue to maintain control in the areas we're not comfortable giving up control. And an area that I see that again and again in the church among believers uh, is, is often in regards to our, our finances. Is that we always say, God can ask anything of me, but I'm not going to give my money to the church. But the fact is, is that we want to see the kingdom expand. If we believe that the way to bring revival to the city or to actually be a catalyst as a movement of grace means that we have to move. It means that we can't be insular. It means that multiplication is not an option. It's something that must be done. But to multiply in a city, to actually see churches planted, to see people raised up, to actually care for the needs of a community like Portland and the needs of a community like Door of Hope, it requires requires resources. And what we see in the early church is that they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all. Now, now keep in mind, Jerusalem went so extreme on this, Paul actually had to tell them to stop giving because they were putting themselves in poverty. But I promise you that will not be our problem. Okay? For us, it'll be like poverty of Monday through Friday coffee, maybe. Uh, and like I said last week, I'm not here to tell you what to give, but I'm saying if Door of Hope is your home and, this, and you're a follower of Jesus, I believe that we have a responsibility to be marked by the gospel of grace. God's radical generosity toward us should produce in us a radical generosity toward God and his people for his kingdom's sake that his name might be glorified in our lives. And the fact is, is that often our material possessions, and especially our money, becomes an idolatry that giving it away is actually the means to our freedom. And I recognize that in my own life. Because there are many times where Darcy and I have been challenged to give above and beyond what we give monthly to the church. And, 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 and you really begin to have your faith tested when, it, when you feel it. And I actually think that generosity should be something we feel. It shouldn't cost us nothing. No, we're willing to lay down everything for his kingdom. And so I just want to put this into there. I never added this to the community, but the fact is, is that we have a deficit right now in the church, and yet we're growing faster than we've grown in the last five years. So we have almost doubled in numbers but our, our giving has actually not gone up really at all. And I'm just calling you guys to a greater level of sacrificial giving so that we can see God's kingdom expand. Like I said, this isn't going toward new clothes. I got one blazer, okay? We, are, we, are, we run a mean and lean ship here. And we want to do more ministry. And we, we just got done doing a renovation on a building. And we only rate, we had someone gift us from the outside $100,000. And we only raised against that with a church of 1,500, 130,000 more. So one person contributed almost half of what we used to get into this building. That's not right. I feel like everybody gave something. We would not have the deficit. And that's what I'd rather see is, is a multitude of people being faithful to give a little, taking care of the needs of the community, rather than having to go outside of the community to raise money from people 
with more means because the community isn't willing to sacrifice. So that's all I'll say about that. How's that feel? Okay, good. Two weeks in a row, what's happening? (laughs) The third pillar is the pillar of simplicity. And simplicity is often a confusing pillar, but I would just refer to it as the philosophy of grace. When it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, and it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. That word generous actually can be translated with simple hearts. That is, hearts that aren't convoluted. The affections have been rightly aligned. Simplicity for us creates clarity. Movement happens when there is a clear and concise mission. Simplicity as a philosophy forces us to continually ask the question, is everything we are doing clearly pointing to and honoring Jesus? An implication of this is that we desire to do fewer things better in faithfulness to the other three pillars. We must remember that everything we do must say, for God so loved the world. And this is why we put everything through the philosophy of simplicity. It's not so much about doing less, it's just about keeping the main thing the main thing. And I love this because it says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. But notice what it says there at the beginning, and day by day, notice what their life, they had simplified their lives so that their lives can be about the glory of Jesus. This is the point of simplicity. It's really asking the central question, is Jesus on the throne of my heart? And is Jesus the central thing that people experience when they come into Door of Hope? Do we live by a philosophy of grace? Are we a people that are defined by and motivated by God's one-way love toward us in Christ? A love that comes to us not when we deserve it, but comes to us because it's God's nature to give it. And does that define us in how we live, how we give, how we spend our time? Notice the early church, what you're reading in Acts chapter 2 is a revival. And what we see in a revival is something that's really powerful, is that there are people that that are dedicated to the gospel of Jesus. They are dedicated to one another. They are dedicated toward sacrificial, radical generosity. And they are dedicated. uh, They can't seem to get enough of one another. And the outcome of that is radical evangelism. And I think that this is a picture, even, you know, there was a movement probably about, it was becoming really common within the church. And I think we're still in that stage where we need to do less services. We need to, people are too busy. You know, it's, it's, they can barely handle getting to church one time a month. And that seems to be true these days. I don't know if it's that we can barely get to church one time a month or we just choose to go once a month. But the fact is, is that our lives and the things that we do outside of the church have taken precedence over our commitment to the church of Jesus. And, and, and this is problematic because in the Jesus movement, you know, they're like, if we gather all the time, we're not going to have time to go out and reach the lost. And that seems to be the philosophy. But when I look at the Jesus movement, that was not what was happening. If you look at the Jesus movement in Costa Mesa in the early days when there was the initial revival, they literally went to church every night of the week. They had different teachers every night of the week at Costa Mesa preaching. You had Lonnie Frisbee on Sunday night, Chuck Smith on Sunday morning. You had, you had all of these different 
what became actually big Calvary Chapel pastors preaching different nights of the week. Greg Laurie, who is an evangelist on Monday nights, and it just went on and on. And yet all of these young hippie kids still seem to have enough time to go out and lead, it seemed like, half of Southern California to Christ. And I think that this is one of the things when people are hungry for the gospel and they are hungry for the kingdom and they believe that Jesus is real and present and on the move and they know what they've been saved from, there is, there is a powerful synergy that happens that I think is, is lacking in, in the church in America today. And I pray that there would be that, that spiritual hunger that is birthed by the Holy Spirit that says, I want more of Christ. I want more of his people. I want to, be part, I want to have more of his mission defining my life. This philosophy of grace requires a daily sacrifice, a single-mindedness, and a humility. That's really, I believe, what defines simplicity is an, is an unworldliness because we're so divine by Jesus. Isn't that why Paul himself says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. I love that, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. A single-minded focus on the goodness of Jesus that leads to a humble posture that says, I want nothing to get in the way of my reflecting Christ. That is a complicated thing and something that we have to continually encourage each other toward because I find that there are many things in my life daily that get in the way of my witness of Jesus. And this is why we need one another to push ourselves toward this philosophy of grace. And then finally, the fourth pillar is the city. And there's a lot of ways that people want to define the city. And I want to just begin by, by telling you what I don't mean by the city. If we mean by the city a certain snobbery that means that ministry somehow in an urban environment is more important or more effective or better than those that are a part of a, a, part of a community in the suburbs, then you are fully misunderstanding the city. Because none of our pillars should be based upon what we're against. We want to be a people that are, we, we know what we're for. And the city as a pillar when we first began as Door of Hope was ultimately just pragmatic. It was, I believe that it is difficult to be a part of community in any kind of intentional way if you're having to drive 45 minutes to get to church. I also believed tenaciously as an evangelist that the, the reason Portland continues to get the title of one of the most unchurched cities in the United States is, is it's not because of the suburbs where there are a lot of Christians and a lot of churches. It's because the urban core is deeply lacking in evangelical, Bible-believing, Christ-centered communities. It is deeply lacking. That's why Portland is a church-planting graveyard. I mean, I can't tell you how many church planters, good church planters, who are gifted, love Jesus, have come into this city, parachuted in with tons of resources to try to start a church, and it just never even gets off the ground. And I can't tell you why God has chosen to bless, bless Door of Hope other than the Holy Spirit blows where he wants to, and all I know is we better be faithful to what he's blessed us with. 
And so when we talk about the city now, what does that mean? Because one of the things that I see in regards to our pillars is that our pillars are transferable. And, and, and I've always intended for the pillars to be transferable. But I think when we get, when we get vision drift, when we forget what we're about, uh, it's easy to begin to define down these things in a way to protect what we have rather than risking everything for the gospel. And I want us to be a church that lives on the edge where we risk everything for the gospel. That we're not trying to protect what we've built, but we're saying, Jesus, blow us where you want us to go. Show us where we need to plant next. Because I believe the city needs to be about the multiplication of grace. That is, that there needs to become a spiritual tipping point in the city, and that cannot be accomplished by a single community in a single neighborhood. It requires a philosophy of multiplication. Uh, we've been picking the brains uh, of, uh, of a dear friend of ours, um, Chuck Bomar, who's the lead pastor of Colossae, and he's been a good friend um, since the beginning of Door of Hope. He's been one of the few guys I've had teach here a few times from outside the church. Uh, and he's planted five churches successfully on the west side. Uh, and, and really, that's what he said. He goes, multiplication for me is not, he goes, I don't care about numerical gro- growth, but multiplication is not an option. That's his, that's his vision. Raising up, raising up pastors, building a team around them, and planting, planting churches. And, and they've got a stru- one of the things that they've done is they've got a structure where their building, their main campus, is too small. They were forced to begin to multiply early on. So anytime the church hits over 200 people, they start planning their next plant. Um, and so as we're moving toward kind of a vision of Door of Hope Northeast, some people will say, why would you do that? Everyone can fit in this building comfortably in three services. And we are actually running out of space on our busy days we're very limited actually already in what we can handle kids-wise. And, and the fact is, is that we want to be a faithful presence around the city. Because look what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 47. In praising God, I love that, you, you get the sense that, that, that the worship of the community was so robust uh, and so, so magnetic that it led to favor with the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. And I think that this is something that I want us to understand is that the transformation of a city happens the same way as a soul, from the inside out. The best way to reach the city is to have a reconciled people living there. And so as our heart is to see gospel-centered men and women, boys and girls living in the various neighborhoods of the city, having a place of worship within their neighborhood that we can continue to be a witness uh, through our multiplication of how good Jesus is. And we've seen it effective. When we launched into the Fremont building before, we immediately saw an uptick in families from that neighborhood. We've already seen people coming from this neighborhood as we open up and people see vibrancy, they see life, they see joy, they see the gospel of grace being played out. What do we have? I believe that when we are faithful to the work of the Spirit, both in worship and in witness, understanding that the Spirit is the one who draws people to Jesus and that God alone saves, but we must be available vehicles for that work. That's what happens through the multiplication of grace. Notice, it's the Lord who added to their number daily, not them. They just became vehicles of worship and witness because Jesus was that real to them. 
And so for us, as we move toward sending Cam and Susanna out, which is the next major step um, of Door of Hope and hopefully a team around them, I want you guys to even begin now to be praying about if you live in Northeast Portland or North Portland or you are deeply connected with Cam and Susanna as friends, they are going to need all the support they can get. And we are comfortable feeling the loss. And I hope it's like 200 people that go with them. Because I believe that, that as we open up space in this space, hopefully it brings more and more non-believers in and more people get radically saved. And as we put a community into the Northeast location, that it becomes a witness of worship uh, and spirit-led, gospel-centered preaching in, in community life that actually leads to more and more people getting saved. And then I want to do it all over again. And our prayer is that we reach, when we see revival in the city, I promise you, we will know it when it comes, and it hasn't come yet. Anyone that says revival's happening here now, I think is, is, is and believe me, I'm an optimist. So like, I see someone get saved, and I'm like, it's at least a revival right here in this moment between the two of us. Um, so I'm an optimist, but we have not tasted a revival yet in our city. I believe that there's a lot of people that are praying for the same thing. I believe there's a lot of churches that want to see that kind of awakening. And I think that as God's people become more hungry and less satisfied with anything less than more of Him, we'll begin to see that movement where God begins to be able to utilize us faithfully as a witness to a city like Portland. Because I would love Portland to no longer have the title of unchurched. I would love to hear how Portland is a city that somehow mysteriously, miraculously was turned upside down for the gospel of Jesus. Like in, when was it, in 1908 when all the stores closed down in downtown for prayer hour. Could you imagine that in Portland today? And if you're wondering if that really happened, it did. This is our vision. This is our, our call. We are a church that exists for Jesus as a movement of grace for the revival in the city. The next major step that we are taking is planting into Northeast. And if you feel that prompting, you want to be a part of that. You want, to, you want to support Cam and Susanna. I would even pray for some of you to even be now thinking about committing for at least one year. And to, to be a support in that, in that plan. And I would also encourage you, if that's something that you're wanting to, that you, that you contact Cam and let him know so that we can begin to get an idea of who the team's going to be around them. But you guys, this is an exciting, and believe me, it's not easy. I don't necessarily want to see people leave, but I am so committed to the gospel bringing transformation to the city that I see multiplication as the necessary reality uh, because I've never been interested in building the church around my personality or anyone else's personality for that. So we just want to build the church around King Jesus, and we want to be about the gospel. So let's be about the gospel. Let's be a people that recognize that we are defined by the cross, the message of grace, that we are a community that is marked as a fellowship of grace, that simplicity is, our, is the philosophy of grace, and that the city is, we are invested in it that we might see the multiplication of grace until we see revival. Amen?